We now come to Prime Minister's questions. I start with Richard Thomason. Here, here. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, at the start of this year, I made halving inflation my number one priority. Today, we have delivered on that commitment. There remains more to do, but this is a strong step forward. This morning, also, the Supreme Court gave a judgment on the Rwanda plan. They confirmed that the principle of removing asylum seekers to a safe third country is lawful. There are further elements that they want additional certainty on and noted changes and noted that changes can be delivered in the future to address those issues. The government has been working already on a new treaty with Rwanda and we will finalize that in light of today's judgment and furthermore if necessary I am prepared to revisit our domestic legal frameworks. Let me assure the house my commitment to stopping the boats is unwavering. My Honourable Friend, the Home Secretary, will be making an oral statement shortly to the House. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When the Prime Minister took office, he promised to lead a government marked by integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. (laughs) What is it about the judgment of David Cameron and his relationships with Lex Greenhill or his lobbying for Chinese state interests that make the Prime Minister consider him to be a suitable candidate to be the Foreign Secretary? Prime Minister. Mr Mr. Speaker, I'm delighted that the former Prime Minister has rejoined government as Foreign Secretary. He brings unrivalled experience and relationships across the world and will do a fantastic job championing British interests everywhere he goes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Tackling illegal immigration is a crucial issue for my constituents, many of whom will be extremely disappointed at this morning's judgment from the Supreme Court. Is the Prime Minister able to update the House on what this decision means for the Government's plan to tackle illegal immigration? Prime Minister. Well, can I thank my honourable friend for his question? I know he has championed this issue and it matters to his constituents. Uh, as I said, the judgment confirms that the principle of removing asylum seekers to a safe third country is lawful. The Government has already been working in advance on a new treaty with Rwanda, which we will finalise in light of today's judgment, so to address the challenges that were raised. But let me say this again. If it becomes clear that our domestic legal frameworks or international conventions are still frustrating plans at that point, I am prepared to change our laws and revisit those international relationships. The British people expect us to do whatever it takes to stop the boats, and that is precisely what this government will deliver. I come to lead of the opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister obviously thinks so little of his own MPs that he's had to peel David Cameron away from his seven-year exile in a shepherd's hut and make him Foreign Secretary. But a few months ago, the Intelligence and Security Committee said that the now Foreign Secretary's role in a Chinese investment fund may have been, and this is their words, engineered by the Chinese state. I hardly need to remind the Prime Minister of the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party or the intimidation against members of this House. So when will he instruct the Foreign Secretary to give full public disclosure of his work for Chinese interests? Mr Speaker, as I said, I'm delighted 
that the former Prime Minister has rejoined government as Foreign Secretary. As an as a individual with unrivalled experience, he will help Britain navigate an uncertain world in challenging times. Of course, like every other government minister, he will go through the normal process with the independent adviser. But the government's position on China is clear. China represents an epoch-defining challenge. That's why we have taken strong and robust steps to protect ourselves against the risk that it poses. But we'll take no lessons, Mr Speaker, from the Labour Party on protecting our national security. They've, they've taken almost £700,000 from an alleged Chinese agent. Mr Speaker, for... Stop. Sorry? Uh, yes, I think now you're on the front bench. We need to just calm down. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, for someone who spent the last few weeks complaining about recycling bins, it's ironic that his latest reset involves recycling the architects of 13 years of Tory failure. But this is the Prime Minister who also reanimated the career of the member for Fareham in order to resuscitate his own just days after she was sacked for a national security breach. Is he ashamed that he was so desperate to become Tory leader, so scared to face a vote, that he put someone so totally unfit for office in charge of Britain's national security? Uh, Mr Speaker, he mentions 13 years. We remember what happened at the beginning of that 13 years. It was this party that restored this country's financial security after the Labour Party left no money behind, Mr Speaker, and it is a bit rich to take lectures on security from a man who wanted to make the former member for Islington North Prime Minister of our country. The member for Islington North isn't even a Labour MP anymore. A change party and strong leadership, Mr Speaker. Luke, with a lot of business today, very important business, with some important votes, and I want to get through this speedily. Mr Speaker, for 13 years our security has been undermined by this Tory government, and now, now the most ridiculous, pathetic spectacle of all. His Rwanda scheme, cooked up with his national security threat Home Secretary, has blown up. He was told over and over again that this would happen, that it wouldn't work and it was just the latest Tory gimmick. But he bet everything on it and now he's totally exposed. The central pillar of his government has crumbled beneath him. Does he want to apologise to the country for wasting £140 million of taxpayer cash and wasting his entire time in office? Mr Speaker, obviously the the person officer didn't hear what I said about our approach to Rwanda, and not least when it comes to stopping the boat. Rwanda is one part of our plan which has already delivered a reduction in the number of small boats this year by a third, Mr Speaker. But he talks about apologising. He talks about the former member not being a Labour MP now. Yes, he wasn't a Labour MP when he declined 15 different times to say that Hamas was a terrorist organisation this week, which is shameful. But he was a Labour MP. Indeed, the honourable gentleman served with him. He told the country he would make a great prime minister. At that point, he described her mass of friends. Does he want to apologise for that now? Are we serious? No. Because I'm going to tell. Oh, I wouldn't challenge. Because I've got to say, 
Our constituents are watching this. They're very, very concerned about the affairs of today. They're very concerned about the votes later. A lot of members wish to speak. Those who don't want that to happen, please, go outside, go and have a conversation there. You want to bowl and shout, do it elsewhere. But it won't be happening in here today. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I'm so glad he agrees this is a changed Labour Party. He was wasting his time on this gimmick. The asylum backlog has swollen to 175,000 people. Taxpayers are paying £8 million a day on hotel bills, and 615 people arrived by small boat last Sunday alone. Plan A has failed. And after this session, whether he likes it or not, he'll have to go back to his office, back to the drawing board, and start from scratch. Can he assure the British public that he will drop what his former Home Secretary calls his magical thinking and start treating small boat crossings with the seriousness that they deserve? Mr Speaker, Speaker, he talks about a change Labour Party. Perhaps we'll see that this evening. He can't even make his party do the right thing when it comes to standing by Israel in the vote later today. He talks about taking small boats crossing seriously. He's opposed every single measure that we have taken, Mr Speaker. Again, let me update him on what we've done this year. The number of illegal Albania arrivals down by 90%. 20,000 people returned this year. The number of crossings down by a third. He mentioned hotels closing 50 of them. Money being saved for taxpayers. All, all, by the way, opposed by the party opposite. What is the honourable gentleman's plan? Ah, yes, there we have it. A cosy deal with the EU, which would see the UK accept 100,000 illegal migrants. He doesn't want to stop the boats. He wants to welcome more of them. Mr Speaker, it's very straightforward. He promised, he promised that he would stop the boats this year. This year. Today is the 15th of November. He's wasted all of his time on a gimmick, and now he's absolutely nowhere. Will he level with the British public and finally admit he's failed to deliver on his promise? Mr Speaker, this government has done more to tackle illegal migration than any in the past. And again, let's just review, Mr Speaker. He's been on the wrong side of this issue his entire career. This is a man who described all immigration law as racist. He said it was a mistake to control immigration, and he has never once in this place voted for stricter asylum rules. It's clear, Mr Speaker, while he might want to listen to the open border activists, I'm siding with the British people. I would have thought if he was confident about his promise, he would have given an answer saying he stands by it and will deliver by the end of the year. But the absence of that answer is absolutely amazing in the circumstances. He's had three reshuffles, a forgotten conference speech, an empty king speech. He even found time to fanboy Elon Musk. (laughs) But not one of them has made the slightest difference to the lives of working people. If we had a pound for every time we had a reset, the cost of living crisis would be over long ago. (laughs) Now, he likes to think of himself as the man from Silicon Valley, the tech-savvy Californian, the country's first AIPM. And yet his big idea is to keep turning his government on and off and hope at the wall and hope that we'll see signs of life. Is he, 
Is he starting to feel that, as somebody once said, he was the future once? I slightly missed the end of that, but I, I've got to say, I was, I was glad. I was glad to hear finally. I was glad to hear finally that the honourable gentleman did bring up the cost of living, because on that he is right. That is the number one challenge facing countries up and down the family. And today, I, again, he mentioned it, but what he failed to recognise, and he talked about delivering on promises. Today was a day that we delivered on the most important pledge I make to halve inflation, Mr. Speaker. Delivering on a commitment, easing the burden for families up and down the country. What we would see from the party opposite is everything would jeopardise that progress, borrowing £28 billion a year, undermining our energy security, giving in to inflation-busting pay rises to his union backers. That's not a sensible plan, Mr Speaker. It would push up mortgage rates, push up inflation, harm working families. All the while, we're going to continue delivering for the country. Now for something completely different. Question four. Well, we are. Prime Minister. Oh, Mr. Mr Speaker, I'm sure my honourable friend will be delighted that the West Midlands now tops regional rankings for foreign direct investment. The Government is also significantly investing in the region, including hundreds of millions of pounds for levelling up fund and towns fund investments, and introducing a new pilot scheme to help businesses in the region become more energy efficient. Sir Michael. Well, can I thank my right honourable friend for that encouraging answer? And on behalf of my constituents in Litchfield, may I thank him for having the guts to actually stop HS2. But can I ask that the area within my constituency in the north, where construction is still going on, that this happens swiftly, and that those areas which are not going to have HS2, compensation is also made swiftly to those people who are expecting it. Well, can I thank my uh, honourable friend for his question, but also for his consistent campaigning on this issue, and I recall his last question at Prime Minister's Questions on this very topic. I would like to reassure him that we are committed to fair treatment for people affected by the changes, whilst also protecting taxpayers appropriately. Wherever property has been acquired for HS2, property owners have been fully compensated and any outstanding cases will be settled. We are developing a programme to sell the surplus land on HS2 Phase 2 and ensure that it delivers value for money, does not disrupt local property markets, and I'll ensure that the Royal Minister talks and meets with him swiftly on behalf of his constituents. MP Leader Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, in 2010, the then Prime Minister and now Foreign Secretary David Cameron said that people in Gaza are living under constant attacks and pressure in an open-air prison. Does the current Prime Minister not agree that if there is not an immediate ceasefire, then all of us in this chamber will be watching on as that open-air prison is turned into a graveyard? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, no one can deny the suffering that the people in Gaza are undergoing at the moment. I spoke about this on Monday and I spoke about it consistently with Mahmoud Abbas, the President of the Palestinian Authority, which is why we are doing everything we can to get aid into the region. And we have repeatedly and consistently called for humanitarian pauses to get aid in and to get hostages and those that need to get out foreign nationals as quickly as possible. And we will continue, as the Foreign Secretary will do, to make sure that that happens. Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, how much worse does it need to get? 4,609 children 
are already dead in Gaza. Babies in the neonatal intensive care unit are dying because they don't have access to oxygen. For members across the House, this is a question of values and it is a question of conscience. Yeah. Yeah. So does the Prime Minister not agree that should there be a vote on an immediate ceasefire, that members across the House should be afforded a free vote? Yeah. Prime Minister. Yeah, well, Mr Speaker, our position as a government is clear on this. It's right that Israel is able to defend itself, and that principle is one which we support. It has suffered an appalling terrorist attack. Hamas is a terrorist organisation, and it is not just Israel's right but duty to protect its citizens. At the same time, we have consistently at the United Nations and bilaterally with all our partners called for humanitarian pauses to ensure that more aid can get in, hostages and nationals can get out. That's the right thing to do. We will continue to do everything we can to alleviate the suffering that the Palestinian people are undergoing. And I'm confident that our efforts are already making a big difference on the ground. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Kirklees Council have closed Dewsbury Sports Centre, delivered just 14% of educational health care plans within a 20-week target, are unable to deliver a five-year land supply, just free of its many failings, and now they want to introduce extortionate car parking charges, punishing hard-working families and destroying the high street in our towns and villages. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that Labour-run Kirklees Council is no longer fit for purpose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, I share my honourable friend's disappointment with the Labour-run council in Kirklees. Just this week, we saw, I believe, a Labour councillor suspended for anti-Semitism. As he said, they've also closed the Dewsbury Sports Centre and are proposing to increase car parking charges, punishing local businesses and shoppers in the run-up to Christmas. The council is clearly no longer fit for purpose, and local residents deserve better. Speaker, last week, members from across the House heard testimony from a young Israeli man who lost both of his peace campaigning parents in the October the 7th attack. This morning we heard from Palestinians who have lost generations of families in the south of Gaza because of the military attacks there. This is a question of humanity and morality. The Prime Minister has an opportunity to lead the calls for peace or endorse death, violence and destruction. Which will he choose? Mr Speaker, I think that's an extremely naive and simplistic way to look at the problem. What he failed to mention in his question was the fact that a prescribed terrorist organisation perpetrated an awful, awful attack on over a thousand individuals, and Israel has every right to defend itself in those circumstances, and people, their country, would expect nothing less for them to provide security for their citizens. Now, of course, alongside that, it is, they must abide by international law, and we will do everything we can, as I have said, to make sure that aid flows in and provides alleviation to the suffering that the people in Gaza are seeing. Kevin Foster. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. <coughs> Proposals for a new rail station at Edgingswell have been looked forward to for a decade, but a final funding gap exists. Will some of the funds released by the decision to scrap further phases of HS2 be used to resolve this? Prime Minister. I can assure my uh, honourable friend that our decision on HS2 means every region of the country will now receive more transport investment than it would have done before, including the South West. Uh, I'm pleased that funding is happening to protect the vital rail link between Exeter 
and Plymouth. There'll be a £2.8 billion road resurfacing fund, and his constituents in the southwest will continue to benefit from the £2 bus fare until the end of next year. I know that we have previously provided almost £8 million to progress the station that he mentions, and I'll reassure him that the Rail Minister will have heard his representations and continue to update him on the progress that they're making. Thank you, Mr Speaker. David Cameron was the well-paid public face of Lex Greensill. Greensill companies are facing criminal investigations in Switzerland, Germany and here in the UK. David Cameron messaged ministers and officials 62 <coughs> times over Greensill's Covid loan guarantees. The Treasury Select Committee called this a significant lack of judgment. What does his appointment say about the Prime Minister's own judgment? Mr Mr. Speaker, as the Honourable Gentleman knows, the Government commissioned Nigel Boardman to review all those issues and strengthen the system following those recommendations. Uh, But I'm very confident, Mr Speaker, that this nation will be well represented by the former Prime Minister abroad. He's a Prime Minister with unrivalled experience of foreign affairs, will help Britain navigate an uncertain world in challenging times. And in contrast, the party opposite would offer to the country a shadow foreign secretary who backed his predecessor to be leader, was paid to appear on Russian television and even voted against Trident. Does that sound like a man who should represent Britain? Thank you, Mr Speaker. The inflation numbers this morning were very welcome, but the tax burden continues to bite. So will the Prime Minister agree in principle with me that the concept of higher rate tax was never meant to drag in police sergeants, band-aid nurses, teachers with additional responsibilities and others? and that a priority for his Treasury Ministers should be to return fairness to the tax thresholds. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Mr. Speaker, um, I agree with the uh, Honourable Gentleman, and I'm pleased that the vast majority of people will continue not to pay the higher rate. I share his ambition to cut taxes for working people. Right now, inflation is falling, and we're sticking to our plan, which is delivering a halving of it this year, because that is the most effective tax cut that we could have delivered for the British people this year, rather than making it worse, as the party opposite would, borrowing money in the way that would be irresponsible and just drive up inflation and interest rates. But I want to reassure him that I absolutely share his ambition to cut taxes uh, for working people. And as we stabilise the economy, that's something that both the Chancellor and I are keen to deliver. Mr Speaker, my son loves football and I understand the Prime Minister is a big Southampton supporter. So after his latest cabinet reshuffle, I wonder if he can tell me, since 2010, have we seen more Southampton managers being sacked or have we seen more housing ministers come and go? (laughs) The answer might help to explain why the government is failing so miserably in new home ownership. Prime Minister. Well, Mr. Well, Mr. Speaker, I, I, I'm pleased. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that in the last figures that we saw, we had actually a record number of first-time buyers, Mr. Speaker, and we're delivering a million homes over this Parliament, as we said, whilst the party opposite blocked our plans to unlock 100,000 homes at the same time. And when it comes to Southampton, I'm also pleased that we're on, I think, almost a seven or eight-game unbeaten run. Yeah. If a two-state solution is to have a chance, 
Hamas must be defeated, but also there will have to first be a more enlightened policy of administration in the occupied West Bank, mustn't there? Well, Mr Speaker, I thank my honourable friend for his question. The UK's long-standing position on the Middle East peace process is very clear. We support a negotiated settlement leading to a safe and secure Israel alongside a viable and sovereign Palestinian state in Gaza and the West Bank. I spoke about this on Monday. Both Israelis and Palestinians have a right to live in peace and security. The longer-term governance of Gaza and security needs to be looked at in the round. It's something that I've discussed repeatedly with President Abbas. We agree with the United States that Gaza should ultimately be under the control of the Palestinian Authority, and we will continue to support President Abbas and his people to get to that outcome. Mr. Speaker, a new generation of drugs, or can be Simkevi and Caftrio, is absolutely transforming the lives of patients with cystic fibrosis. So people who would have been waiting for double lung, lung transplants now live in happy, healthy lives. But Nice is now saying we can't afford them. So will the Prime Minister and his new Health Secretary get round the table with Nice and with the drugs company to make sure that children being born with cystic fibrosis today get those life-saving drugs in the same way that children currently living with CF are getting them? Prime Minister, I thank the Honourable Lady for raising uh, an important issue. Uh, I'll, of course, ask the Health Secretary to look into it. I shall understand that Nice operates independently from government, but if there's a conversation that can be had, I'll ensure that it takes place. David Davis. In the events of the last six weeks, can the Prime Minister tell the House why the government has not proscribed the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, this government continues to take strong action against Iran uh, whilst people in the UK and around the world are under threat from the regime. We've sanctioned more than 350 Iranian individuals and entities, including the IRGC in its entirety. The National Security Act of this year implements new measures to protect the British public, including new offences for espionage and foreign interference. And while the government keeps the list of prescribed organisations under review, as members will be aware, it is a long-standing convention that we don't comment on whether a specific organisation is being considered for prescription. He just said he had unprecedented experience. What would he say was David Cameron's finest foreign policy achievement? Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I think there's, there's, Mr. Speaker, in fact, many, many to pick from. But what I would say, what I would say, is under his leadership. This country, this country hosted what was widely considered to be one of the most successful G8 summits of recent time. Make it four. It was great to welcome the Prime Minister to Chelmsford earlier this year, where he launched his anti-social behaviour strategy. And he will be pleased to know that the local police have um, consistently been stepping up their activities. Last week, they arrested 24 people for many crimes, and last night they took out a major significant County Lines gang. So please, will he join me in congratulating all those in our local police? And would he like to come back to Chelmsford and come out and patrol? He's very Minister. Well, it was great to visit my honourable friend and launch the government's anti-social behaviour plan. Uh, can I thank her for raising awareness about the important work that her local policing team is doing? And I'm pleased that they've been empowered by our strategy. Anti-social behaviour does make life miserable for many. That's why our plan being delivered is so important. It's having a difference across the country, including in her 
part of the world, and I'm pleased to see that crime under this government, in the year that we most recently have data for, has decreased by 56% since 2010. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, it's insulting that in the week that marks 20 years since the abolition of Section 28, the Prime Minister has appointed a Minister Without Portfolio who frequently attacks the LGBTQ community with their so-called war on woke, seeks a return to those awful days, denying our human rights and attacking our very existence. Does the Prime Minister agree that he has manifestly and repeatedly failed? It's time for him to resign and to call a general election. Mr Mr. Speaker, actually, this government and previous have a proud record in championing LGBT rights. It was this government that introduced same-sex marriage, Mr Speaker, and we will continue to ensure that everyone in our society can live with tolerance and compassion and have every opportunity available for them. That's what we have delivered and that's what we'll continue delivering. Mr Speaker, last year through the Homes for Ukraine scheme, my family and I welcomed a refugee family to our home. I am proud that this country has always offered refuge to those who need it. But it is essential that we in this country decide who comes to this country. The Prime Minister has rightly said that he will do whatever it takes to stop the small boats and the evil trade around them. But isn't it apparent that after this morning's ruling, what it will take is a new law to override the Human Rights Act and to cut through the thicket of case law built up by judicial activism so that we can bring back control of our borders and stop the small boats? Mr Speaker, it is right that we go through the judgment carefully and properly. And as I said, the government has already been working in advance on a new treaty with Rwanda to address the concerns that have been raised, uh, that were raised previously and that were raised by the Supreme Court, who also acknowledge that changes can be delivered to address those issues. But as I said, and I'll repeat, if it becomes clear that our domestic legal frameworks or indeed international conventions are still frustrating plans after that point, I am prepared to change our laws and revisit those international relationships because we are absolutely committed to stopping the boats. John Butler. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister, thank you for meeting with my constituent, Noam. It has been 40 days since Noam's mum, Ada Sagi, was kidnapped by Hamas on October the 7th. We all condemn Hamas's actions and fight for the return of all hostages. Noam wants the language of love to be louder than the language of hate. 11,000 Palestinians have been killed, over 4,000 of them children. International law is important. Does the Prime Minister agree that you can support Israel but also call out breaches of international law? I've been consistent from the start that whilst Israel has a right to defend itself, it is important that it complies with international law. It's a point I have made on every meeting or phone conversation that I've had with Prime Minister Netanyahu. I also, it was a privilege to meet her constituents and to hear the pain that they are going through, which I have enormous sympathy for, which is why we are doing absolutely everything we can to bring hostages home. We are engaged intensively in diplomatic activity in the region and working to get also foreign nationals and British nationals. I am pleased to say well over 200 have now left Gaza and we will continue to do everything we can to ensure that everyone can safely leave who needs to. Holly Babycroft. 
The Prime Minister knows I stand unapologetically with my steelmakers in Scunthorpe. Yeah. Yeah. And he knows yeah, that I believe, as many across this House do, that the UK must retain a virgin steelmaking capability Absolutely. for strategic yeah. reasons, Absolutely. if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Will he reassure the House that he is personally following developments at British Steel and doing all he can to retain what is a vital, sovereign capability? Yeah. Well, can I thank my honourable friend for the question? I know she is a fantastic champion for her local steelworking community, and I hope she is reassured by the action that this government has already taken to support steelmaking in our country, uh, reaching a landmark agreement with Tata Steel to safeguard thousands of jobs there and previously in the pandemic as well, because I agree with her it is important to our industrial brace and we'll continue to have constructive conversations with all those companies to ensure that we can support them in their transition to a cleaner, greener steelmaking future. Thank you, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Speaker. According to the independent, sorry, the British Independent Retail Association, on a matter that affects every constituency across this kingdom, 82% of retailers don't even bother reporting physical attacks on their staff when they're attacked. It takes shopkeepers to sell an additional 12 items to make up for an item that has been stolen. Will the Prime Minister support efforts that are being made by that association and many others across this House to ensure that retailers are protected, that theft against them is called out and that they are supported in every way possible? And today at a meeting in Dining Room C, will he encourage those members from those shops in their efforts? Uh, can I firstly pay tribute to the work that my honourable friend does on this issue as the vice chair of the all-party group on retail crime. Uh, he's absolutely right about the importance of this issue. Working in my mum's shop and her pharmacy growing up, I understand exactly what he's talking about when small businesses are the victims of crime. What I can tell him is that our expectation and our agreement with police forces is that all shoplifting should be followed up where there is evidence, such as CCTV footage, which is something that we did earlier this year, and also that any violent or abusive behaviour towards shop workers, particularly those who provide a valuable service to the public is never acceptable and that is why we introduced a statutory aggravating factor for assaults on workers that provide a service to the public and I commend him on everything he's doing on this issue. Thank you. Uh, will, will my right honourable friend give the House an assurance that he has made clear to the new Foreign Secretary, who of course we wish well, that <laughs> And that he has agreed that his policy and conduct of EU-related affairs will be consistent with the government's 2019 election manifesto and the referendum, and is now fully committed to UK parliamentary sovereignty, self-government and democracy, and in accordance with the government's subsequent legislation. Prime Minister. Well, I can. Uh, I'm delighted to give my honourable friend uh, that assurance because this is a government that is seizing the opportunities of Brexit, aided by his advice and support, passing the rule bill, ensuring that we can regulate our growth industries in a more competitive way and sign trade deals with the fastest growing regions across the world, including most recently the CPTPP. It's this government that's delivering the benefits of Brexit to every part of our country and long may that continue. That completes Prime Minister's questions.